Warning, this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Due to the graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. Welcome from wherever you are. This is the Demon Inside Podcast. I'm your host, John Benham. If you would like to review another episode of the Demon Inside, you can go to Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and any podcast platform. And please, don't forget to subscribe and rate us with five stars. A new episode will come out once a week. And welcome back to the Demon Inside. My name is Dave Tresh. I'm speaking to you from Mount Carmel Center. The first thing that I would like to introduce in our subject is the reasons for the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, commentary states, so what John has written in Scripture is nothing other than the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it, signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now, John bear the record of God and the word of Christ and of all things that he saw. In the first chapter of Revelation, it says, Blessed is the man, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and those who keep the things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. Scripture states, John writes this to the seven churches which are in Asia, Ephesus, Myrna, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, so forth. Naturally, we must understand that we're not in Asia. These churches once existed long ago, being beneficiaries of power and the gifts of the gospel that was originally introduced by the man himself. Some know him as Jesus Christ. Others knew him by the name Shua. What we're trying to present today may in some wise shed a better light in regards to my situation and my predicament here at Mount Carmel. One point I'd like to bring out before we continue is that if we take a look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the burden of these ancient writers, the burden of heart, the burden of mind and spirit, to put into scriptural records their personal experience with Christ. A record that is to be received by men, all men who will receive it. The point is true that not all have seen Christ. But it has been in the wisdom of God that certain men who were witnesses 
of his life and death and resurrection, that they would bear witness by the written word and testify to the generations to come of the terrible happening that took place when the men of that generation would not believe in the man who through so many obvious evidences proved beyond shadows of doubt that he was the Son of God. Hello, my Demon Insiders, and welcome back to the Demon Inside. I'm your host, John Benham, and today we are going to be talking about the Demon Inside, David Koresh, and the Branch Davidians. As you guys know, I do these uh, shows in pairs, and this is actually a pair for Jim Jones, which I did last week. Also, there's a lot of resemblance to Charles Manson, because... Charles Manson wanted to be a musician, and so did David Koresh. He was born August 17, 1959, but his real name is Vernon Wayne Howell. But for these contents for this show, I'm just going to call him David, David Koresh. So he was the leader of the Branch Davidians. He was born in Houston, Texas. And he was a poor student because of his dyslexia. He also never knew his father, and he lived with his stepfather, who was very harsh to him. He was a very strict disciplinarian, uh, almost on the side of abusive. But Koresh ended up dropping out of school uh, in high school. But... He was smarter than people gave him credit. When he was 12, he actually learned the New Testament by heart. And by the age of 20, I believe, he learned the Old Testament by heart. And we're talking by heart. He could remember verses straight out of the Bible. And this was going to help him to achieve what he wanted later on in life. So Koresh had a thing with a 16-year-old girl who became pregnant when he was 19. And even her at 16 being immature and him at 19, she got pregnant and she saw him as an unfit person to raise a child. So he was already involved in the church, but... He became, he became a born-again Christian in the Southern Baptist Church. But then after that, he joined his mother's church, which was the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And there he fell in love with the pastor's daughter. Now, I want to say the pastor's daughter was either 12 or 14. And while praying for guidance, he opened his eyes and found the Bible open at Isaiah 34, which stated that none should want for a mate. So David was convinced that this was a sign from God that he needed to marry the pastor's daughter. Of course, the pastor's daughter was very upset about it because you're talking about a grown man who wants a child and he ended up throwing him out of the congregation. So, in 1981, he moved to Waco, Texas, where he joined the Branch Davidians, who had already been 
uh, they were already the organization they are. They had started in the 50s. And in 83, he began claiming the gift of prophecy to the congregation. So David had an affair with Louise Roden. Louise Roden was a prophetess and a leader of the Branch Davidians. And at that time, she was in her late 60s. She was eventually claiming that God had chosen David to father a child with her and that that child would be the chosen one. So you have this 60-year-old woman saying that David is going to give her a child and that child is going to be the chosen one. Of course, it never happened because she couldn't have children. <laughs> and uh, But I believe that David actually started seeing her so that he could take over the Branch Davidian. Because the one that was supposed to take over was her son, George Roden. And that's a whole thing that I'm going to talk about here in a second. But in 83, Roden allowed Koresh to begin teaching his own message, which caused controversy in the group. George, her son, was very upset about it, and he considered David an interloper. So during this power struggle between Koresh and George, uh... George actually had the support of the majority of the group. So the group ended up forcing Koresh and his followers out at gunpoint. And they ended up leaving uh, Mount Carmel, uh, which was in Waco, or a little bit past Waco. And they ended up moving 90 miles away from Waco in Palestine, which is Palestine, Texas. And they lived there for two years and Koresh started to recruit new followers from Canada or California and the United Kingdom, Israel, and Australia. Now, he's doing all this from a bus that they're living in in this little commune, uh, and he's gathering followers. People are actually still believing this guy. So, in 1985, Koresh, he traveled to Israel. And it was there that he had a vision that he was a modern-day Cyrus. And I'll explain what this means here in a minute. And he wanted to be God's tool to set up the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem. So by 1990, he believed the place of his martyrdom. Now listen to this. 1990, he believed the place of his martyrdom he wanted to be a martyr, might be in Israel, but by 1991, of course, with some of these guys, they're always saying, oh, God told me that it was going to be in Israel. But the thing is, they couldn't get to Israel. And then all of a sudden, God changed his mind and said, oh, your martyrdom's going to happen in the United States. It's going to happen at Mount Carmel, which is in Waco. And he says that, this is going to be from the prophecies of Daniel. That Daniel's prophecies would be fulfilled. This was in the Bible, or is in the Bible. So, David worked so that everyone was forced 
to rely on him and him alone at this Palestine camp. And he said that all bonds, attachments, family or whatever meant nothing. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. And now it's time for the shout out of the week. First, we go to Les, who sent five stars and titled it Amazing. Thank you very much for that. She writes, I love this podcast. John is a great storyteller. Keep up the work. So thank you for that, Liz. I'm sorry it took a while to get to you. Uh, the next one was, of course, from my Demon Insider, Erin. And she wrote, John Venom has a wealth of knowledge and marries the supernatural with true crime in this awesome podcast. He digs deep to find the possible root of evil doings of evil doings and shares his connections. So thank you very much for that, Aaron. Uh, you truly are one of my demon insiders, as is Liz. And now for another tr tr true demon insider, uh, I go to Shannon. And Shannon, I have this whole story that. Uh, so I apologize to Shannon. Let me explain this. She sent me an email saying, I just wanted to send a quick note. I enjoy listening to your podcast. I look forward to hearing more. And then she put, I believe you're on a break. I said, thank you so much uh, for sending me this. I said, yes, I'm on a break, but I'm actually starting a new episode. And if you would allow me, I could put your name on it. She said, of course, that would be awesome. And so I ended up deleting her email and so I couldn't find the exact thing that she says so I sent her another email saying hey could you please possibly send it to me and she was a good sport about it so she did it and uh, I appreciate that so much so thank you Shannon thank you Liz and thank you Aaron for being my true demon insiders and I hope you like the rest of the show let's get back to it And welcome back to the Demon Inside. He was basically, same thing that Jim Jones did, was taking these people to make them vulnerable and that they could only rely on him. Not on each other, not on family, just on him. And he had started preaching his own Christhood. And this is where he starts proclaiming that he was the son of God and the lamb who would open the seven seals. So Louise wrote and died in 1986. And David had been preaching that monogamy was the only way to live because of Louise. But once she passed away, all of a sudden, he announced that polygamy was allowed for him and him alone. So in March of, 90, of 86, David Koresh first slept with Karen Doyle, who was 14. He claimed her as his second wife. He was already married, and he claimed her as his second wife. She was 14, guys. So in August of 86, he began secretly sleeping with Michelle Jones, his wife's younger 12-year-old sister. 
This is a full-blown pedophile. And he's using the word of God to feed his... I'm not going to say sickness, but he's using it to, to sleep with younger women, younger little girls. <sighs> Sorry, it makes my skin crawl. So he began to preach that he was entitled to 140 wives, 60 women as his queens, and 80 as his concubines which he based upon his interpretation of the biblical song of Solomon. So he's using the Bible to get what he wants. Then, if it wasn't bad enough, he decides to build his new theology. Because he starts thinking that he is God. He's the next coming of Christ. And with his next theology, it's called New Light. And there's a doctrine of polygamy for himself, which he called the House of David. Now, according to this doctrine, his wife was supposed, the the, the 14-year-old daughter, his wife was supposed to have a daughter named Shoshana, who would then be married to Koresh's firstborn son, Cyrus. But since she failed to conceive, he then transferred his attention to his wife's sister, the 12-year-old. I guess God said, hey, you know what? She can't have a kid, so go ahead and be with the sister. I don't think so. So former Davidian David Buns said that Koresh's doctrine of polygamy rose out of the deep desire to have sex with young girls, obviously. But this is also what he said. And listen to this, and I quote, this is what this guy said, David Buns, who was a uh, former Davidian. He says, once that David Koresh was able to convince himself that it was God's will, then he was able to to be free of guilt and have sex with as many young girls as as he could get his hands on. So he's telling his followers, for those of you that are thinking, why didn't the adults do something? He's making it seem like this is so hard for me to do, but God told me to do it. I don't want to, but God needs me to. And so I'm free of feeling guilt Because God freed me of feeling guilt, and now I can sleep with little girls. So by 1987, George Roden, the one that's, you know, at the uh, Branch Davidian, his support had withered. So a lot of his people were going to to David. Because, again, David was very good at scripture. David was very convincing. And this guy, George, was was an idiot as well. So to gain, to regain his support, he challenged David to a contest to raise the dead. Yes, guys, this guy, George Roden, who was the head of a church, 
decided to tell David Koresh, I challenge you to see who is the more godly and who can raise the dead. This is, you can't make this stuff up. He even dug up a corpse to practice on it, to try to get it to rise from the dead before they actually had this thing going on. It's crazy, guys. So Koresh and some of his followers dressed up in camouflage, and there was seven of them. They were all armed, and they went to Mount Carmel with guns, and they tried to assassinate George. The local police were called. They got there pretty quick, arrested all of them except for one guy who got away. Uh, but during the court, David said that they were trying to prove that he had a dead body and he was... Uh, using it our misappropriation of a dead body and so it's really out there guys it's but here's the thing and this is the thing when when the government or the law fails you because it was attempted murder they did actually hit George in the arm and luckily I mean nobody was killed or hurt uh, more than that but all of the uh, six, the five other guys that were there with David were actually acquitted of their charges. And David, they actually declared a mistrial. So they were all free to go. Whenever something like this happens with these guys that think they have the power of God, they're going to use that even more saying, see, I told you, God is taking care of us. And those followers are going to believe it even more. And they're going to go and tell the rest of the congregation. So in 1988, Rodin, which is a character on his own, he murdered a guy named Dale Adair with an axe blow to the skull after Adair stated his belief that Koresh was the Messiah. Rodin was convicted of murder. And the only reason I'm getting into this is because Rodin owed the government unpaid taxes. So Mount Carmel was placed for sale. Think about this. Think about this really hard, okay? These things needed to happen in a way that David, from way back, had said, my place is going to be on Mount Carmel. That's where I'm going to be a martyr. How do you get back there? Well, this trial, they released them. That guy, uh, Rodin, killed Dale. Mount Carmel hadn't paid their taxes. And now, all of a sudden, it's for sale. So Koresh and his followers raised the money and purchased the property. And then he, he renamed it Ranch Apocalypse. So let me talk to you guys about name changes. Because 
David changed his name because he believed he was going to be the new Cyrus. Now, in documentation, that he, he changed his name. He says, publicity and business were the purposes, but that's not true. The switch arose from his belief that he was now the head of the biblical house of David, from which Judeo-Christian tradition maintains that Messiah will come. The name Koresh is the translation of the Hebrew name of Cyrus, the Persian king who allowed the Jews who had been dispersed throughout Babylonia by Nebuchadnezzar to return to their homelands. Both King David and Cyrus are referred to as messiahs in the Hebrew Bible. Thus, the names David and Koresh. So that's why Vernon Howe chose evidence that his belief that he too was an anointed one and a belief that stemmed from a vision he claimed to have received from God during his trip in Israel in 1985. So, what ends up happening is they take over Mount Carmel. And little by little, of course, David is... David's basically a child molester. And he's doing it in front of his congregation. He actually talks about that these little girls need to be his wife. And he convinces everybody. This isn't why the ATF comes in. The ATF comes in to take over because they find out that he starts having a big shipment of guns. With that, the eight, and, and not only guns, but they also find grenades. And so they decide that this is a very dangerous situation. Now, Channel 13, Eyewitness News, tonight. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. A fanatical, scripture-quoting religious leader who moved to Waco to await the end of the world. Instead, maybe to blame tonight for the deaths of several federal agents. We've got a standoff that continues at this hour after two shootouts earlier today. A compound located 10 miles east of Waco in the community of Elk, which is where we join our Wayne Jolchefino and Debbie Johnson, who have been covering this unbelievable story. Wayne? Yeah, Bobby Minerva, never before has the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau lost this many people in a single operation, and the government was prepared for trouble this morning. Three helicopters, 150 law enforcement officers, some of them from the Houston area, involved in the operation, but as one ATF agent told us tonight, it looked like they knew we were coming. Tonight, we are about a mile to the west of the compound where the standoff has entered its 13th hour. You could see the bullet holes in Don Maloney's truck. The Waco TV photographer was an eyewitness to the morning assault by federal agents on the Branch Davidian cult compound just east of Waco. More than 150 ATF agents had come here armed with search and arrest warrants. They were greeted with lots of gunfire. We were pinned down. We had 45 minutes of gunfire, automatic gunfire. Uh, first five, ten minutes was a job. Get the video, do, do your job, and after that, to wonder that because bullets were flying over our heads, they were hitting the news unit, they were about two feet from our feet. The gunfire took a heavy toll on the government agents. Four dead, 14 wounded. Our hearts go out to those, to these brave agents who died today in the line of duty and to their families. 
Today's events point out, uh, today's events point up to the fact that federal law enforcement officers across America place their lives on the line every minute of every day. Then came the standoff. All day long, reinforcements were brought in from as far away as Fort Hood. An armored personnel carrier rumbled down the farm road. Patrol cars came streaming by. Military helicopters came flying overhead. Inside the 77-acre well-fortified compound is the leader, Vernon Howell, who claims to be the second coming of Christ. A Waco newspaper just this week called him the sinful messiah. Howell, or David Koresh as he wants to be known, was apparently wounded in the gunfire. He may have as many as 150 followers with him inside the compound, many of them children. They all came here to await Armageddon. The people inside are very aware of any outside movements and become very jittery when they see something that happened or when they see a furtive movement that they don't know about ahead of time. There was some sporadic gunfire this afternoon, Bob and Minerva, and then at 7 o'clock tonight, three members of the cult tried to make a break for it, getting into another gun battle with law enforcement officers. One cult member was killed, we are told, by the ATF. Another was captured. A third was wounded and retreated back into the compound. And except for today's deadly events and an internal gun battle that took place about five years ago, Debbie Johnson, most of the folks who live around this cult say they're quiet neighbors. They're making everything that he said true. This was the place where he said he was going to be a martyr. This is the place where he said that they were going to come and they would kill him. The FBI takes over and they start negotiating with him. And they tell David, look, you know, release people. And he did. He released some of the kids just to gain goodwill. But but you got to remember, too, guys, this man is a very good con man. He's a very good liar. And most of those people in there didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay in there with them. And the FBI was actually handling it like it was a hostage situation, but it wasn't. They don't. Un- they didn't understand at the time that these people were there out of their own free will. And they even did a video saying that all the people in there were of their own free will inside. Now... What happens uh, during this whole seizure, uh, this whole siege, is that David says, "Look, if you put my word out there on the radio, I will come out." And they did. And if you guys want to listen to that, it's on YouTube. And but then at the end of it, he says, "You know what? God told me to stay in here longer." Now keep in mind, he already thinks he's going to be a martyr. So is he really coming out? No. Then he starts telling the FBI, look, I need to finish the seven seals. Basically, he was writing new parts to the Bible. You can't do that. And Revelations, even Revelations has a warning about changing what it says in it. And I don't like to get too preachy, guys. You know that. But when you start changing the word of God... You are no longer a, a person of God. You're you're something else. And I believe that because he went in thinking that he was going to be killed and he knew that his followers would not follow him out, he knew they were going to be killed as well. So instead of allowing 
the FBI to come in and take out the kids, which, again, Jim Jones did, hiding behind children. Because these guys are cowards. He ended up having his followers spread uh, gasoline or spread some type of fuel, type of fuel, so that they could turn on a fire and they could go out their own way like Jim Jones did with the poison. So do I think that David Koresh was possessed? I absolutely do. I I think if he wasn't possessed, because this was a man that wanted to have sex with children. That's all this was. And this was a way for him to preach where people that want to be religious and and think that this is a savior don't want to see the faults of the savior. But... Here's the thing. David Koresh always said that he was the sinful Messiah. So what does that tell you? Thanks, guys, for listening. Talk to you all next week. Have a good one. Take care. Don't forget to subscribe to the Demon Inside podcast on any podcast platform. A new episode of the Demon Inside will be released every week. Let us know what you think of the episode on all our social media platforms. If you have any questions or comments, go to the Demon Inside podcast at gmail.com or click on the link down below. We would love to hear from you. And to become a Demon Insider, go to our website, thedemoninsidepodcast.com. We thank you for listening and hope you will join us next week for a new Demon Inside podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. I am John Venom, and I'll see you next time. If I don't get possessed. The Demon Inside was written and created by James Porter. It is a production of Venomous Entertainment. Background music is by Lucas King. And the title song, Demon Inside, was produced by Rice Prober, composer lyricist Peter Shelley, and performed by Conjure One.